you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. We have been designed by God with bodies that require food in order to live. Yet we're not mere machines that simply ingest nutritional substances routinely in order to have that life. Eating is a physical experience as well as a mental and emotional one. Because of that fact, there are many ways teens can misuse food and the entire activity of eating. For the purposes of today's podcast, let me go over the four main types of eating disorders very briefly. First, anorexia. An extreme reduction of calories by eating very little is the central distinction of this most common eating disorder. The goal of the person struggling with anorexia is either rapid weight loss or the maintenance of an abnormally low weight. With these intentions, anorexia may easily end up at some point in death. Even at dangerous weights, the anorexic perceives itself as still being fat and is constantly afraid of gaining even a little weight. Then there's bulimia. Instead of eating very little, a teen experiencing bulimia binges on a large amount of food followed by purging. This purging typically occurs by vomiting, but may also be accomplished by the use of laxatives or the practice of extreme exercise. The cycle of binging and purging is the defining quality of bulimia to the point of addiction. A bulimic teen is obsessed with body image and weight, yet may end up being overweight. Then there's binge eating. From its very description, binge eating is that compulsive habit of eating well beyond the point of fullness. It is synonymous with gluttony and typically ends in obesity. Binge eaters may also attempt to diet frequently or fast after a lot of binging. The binging can often be totally out of control. Late night binge eating is a variation of this problem. And then the fourth one, excessive exercise and orthorexia. These last two types of eating problems typically occur together. Excessive exercise is not just over-exercising, but exercising to the point of exhaustion in order to maintain a certain weight. Orthorexia is the obsessive focus on only eating the right nutritional foods, again in order to stay at a certain weight or body shape. These co-conspirators work together to form an obsessive dietary and fitness regimen at the expense of relationships and other activities. So we need to dig down deep into this very challenging problem among our teens today, eating disorders, and work to see them from a biblical worldview and to offer biblical solutions. Just a reminder that this information and much more can be found in my forthcoming book, Pursuing a Heart of Wisdom, Counseling Teenagers Biblically, available from Christian Focus, in September 2019. 
Now, one of the earliest training subject matters for children has to do with eating. Parents teach a child how to eat, what to eat, what not to eat, and even how much to eat. Some children learn good eating habits. Some learn a mixture of good and bad practices, while others are left pretty much to themselves. Then there is the deeper level of instruction regarding how parents expect their children to see food, whether it is to be for good health and fitness, simply for pleasure, or actually in a manner that glorifies God. So eating is much more complicated than most people think. A teenager may have learned bad habits or might just be rejecting the good practices of their parents. Or again, the teen might have been left alone to decide how, when, and how much to eat. Finally, questions concerning why a teen eats must be answered. Eating to escape, eating out of grief, eating out of anxiety, eating as a performance. So let's apply some essential biblical principles as we seek to help teens struggling with an eating disorder. First, we need to consider the impact of today's culture. Just take a moment and make a mental list of what modern culture is teaching our young people about food, weight, health, fitness, and body image. Here's a start. Looking young is always the ultimate ideal. People are simply bodies, so our bodies define our beauty. Thinness is desired most, especially in women. A sexy female is one with the most unrealistic, perfect proportions. The male body must be muscular with zero body fat. Physical health and fitness are the only path to a high quality of life. A selfie generation is obsessed with self-image. Food is either only for pleasure or a pathway for perfect health. While there are many other cultural messages that relate to food, health, and fitness, these represent many of the dominant ones. The increasing prevalence of eating disorders among our teenagers can clearly be linked with our culture's obsession with physical bodies. It can be argued that this has been the case for most affluent cultures throughout history, Yet our modern communication technology certainly has sent the messages further and more intensively. With these various cultural influences in mind, it is important to first see our teens who are struggling with an eating disorder as sufferers. This doesn't mean we treat them as victims or as innocent of sinful behavior in the midst of their disorder. They are to be held responsible for an improper adoption of a sinful culture's standards. But our counseling of teens struggling with eating disorders must begin with compassion, care, and empathy. The reality is that we are all impacted by the deviant messages about eating and our bodies, not just our teenagers. We should recognize how difficult it can be to see self accurately and to have a right view of food and health. So many of our teens will also struggle to not give in to the lies that the world is teaching them. Nancy, a 16-year-old, has been dealing with anorexia for a couple of years. Nancy has always had a very bubbly personality, but has become insecure of her weight over time, mainly because her best friend is so skinny and so beautiful. 
Now that she has fallen in love with a guy in her youth group, the desire to both lose weight and maintain an ideal weight has become somewhat of an obsession. Does Nancy recognize how she is adopting the world's view of her body rather than a biblical perspective? Her idolatry of the body as well as a boyfriend are problems that must be confronted. Admitting that the world's false narrative has a hold on her helps to begin the process of dealing with the disorder that has emerged. Next, we need to deal with the subject of bondage and addiction. Whether the eating disorder is anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, or some other variation, it is best to understand all of them as forms of addiction. As we discussed in a previous podcast, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, we are all born in bondage to sin. Sin is our master, and self is on the throne. Because of that bondage to sin, addiction is as normal as breathing, eating, and drinking. Human beings, then, can turn just about anything into an addiction, even something as healthy as food. The very nature of addiction is that it is a life-dominating sin, impacting our work, relationships, activities, family, worship, etc., The addict thinks and speaks of being in control of what he or she is doing when it is really the substance or activity that is truly in charge. So rather than simply seeing an eating disorder as a simple problem, just start eating right, we must realize that it is a very difficult addiction. It will not be dealt with simply by the sheer force of the will. Think about the reasons why eating disorders can easily turn into addictions. Obviously, the whole process of eating is habit-forming. We tend to eat every day, three or more times every day. God has created us with natural hunger, so our bodies let us know they need nourishment every few hours a day. So for eating disorders that restrict caloric intake, a teen like Nancy has to force herself to resist a natural habit. Then she develops a new habit of resisting hunger, which requires a brand new mindset. On the other hand, teens who binge and purge form a new habit that opposes the natural course of eating in a different way. Eating disorders war against God's beautiful design of enjoying food and reaping benefits from its nutrition when our bodies are operating properly. So the bottom line is that committing to change a natural habit like regular normal eating will always end up creating a powerful new eating addiction. Eating disorders also become addictions because of the pleasure that eating typically brings with it. There are certainly times when we eat simply to satisfy hunger and gain necessary energy. Yet much of our eating is more than simply a repetitive activity. It's an enjoyable experience. We choose foods that appeal to our senses, that look good to us, smell good, and taste good. We look forward in anticipation to meals when we expect to eat some of our favorite foods or try a new delicacy. During and after a meal, we enjoy thoughts and feelings of satisfaction and happiness when the food is just right. All of that gets distorted and twisted by an eating disorder. Binge eaters overindulge and may even worship their food. Anorexics force themselves to not enjoy the food, or at least very much of it. 
Bulimics aim to have the best of both worlds, but still have their minds on things other than the pleasure of eating itself. In these ways, eating disorders become a very mind-based addiction as well. Finally, eating disorders easily turn into bondage and addictions because of the reality that eating is a daily requirement. An alcoholic or drug addict can potentially never drink alcohol or use drugs again. Similarly, a teen addicted to pornography could never view substantial porn in the future. But a person with an eating addiction must always deal with food. You can't tell a binge eater to avoid eating ever again. Likewise, it's impossible to tell anorexics or bulimics that they can remove the temptation of food totally out of their lives. Everyone struggling with an eating disorder of some sort cannot eliminate food from daily existence. Because of that, it is unfruitful to exhort an anorexic just to eat more or a binge eater to eat less. The ever-present requirement of our lives to deal with food, hunger, nutrition, and our bodies makes an eating disorder potentially the most difficult of all addictions to fully conquer. Yet this reality does not make it hopeless. It only communicates that our teens need the power of Christ to break the chains of bondage and addiction to food and eating. Now let's move on to the subject of distorted body image. While many of our teens imbibe the world's view of health, fitness, and food, why don't all of them have eating disorders? One reason is connected to the way a teenager sees his or her own body. Our body image is influenced by many factors, including cultural norms, the opinions of people closest to us, and our own desires and expectations. Nancy is convinced that she doesn't have a body that young men would desire. She compares her body every day to the girls in her youth group especially those she is most threatened by and with whom she is competing. Now, deep in the struggle with anorexia, Nancy's view of her body has gotten even more distorted. The truth is she is currently the thinnest girl in her grade at church by a long shot. There are plenty of boys who are attracted to her, but she believes even more weight loss is required and will only make her life better. So how do you help Nancy change the way she is looking at her body? You could tell her all the objective facts, how she is already super thin, how her body fat is in the normal range, and how the mirror doesn't lie. But talking to Nancy is like telling someone over and over again that the sky is blue when she says it looks green to me. To those suffering with an eating disorder, objective truth doesn't matter as much as their own subjective experience. So if Nancy feels fat or doesn't feel beautiful, it will not help to present the truth, even if you have charts and graphs to prove it. The lies that she is believing about her body image cannot be refuted, except by the powerful voice of the Holy Spirit. Does that mean you cannot give an anorexic the objective facts about her weight? No, you certainly can and must. Nancy needs to be lovingly confronted with the truth until she begins to believe it. Just recognize that our views of our own bodies may begin somewhat accurate, but can easily become distorted and false.
Now let's think well about the issue of self-esteem. Because of the distorted body image that fuels many teenage eating disorders, common wisdom points to a self-esteem problem. After all, when a young lady gets frustrated with the extra weight she has put on, this appears to be equivalent to hating her body. And if she hates her body, that means she hates herself or is displaying low self-esteem. Unfortunately, the assumption that low self-esteem is at the root of eating disorders, especially among young women, leads to all sorts of unbiblical counsel. A girl, let's call her Opal, may be told to learn to love her body just as it is, and therefore love herself more. Or she may be told to ignore all the body shamers out there and embrace how perfect she is at any weight and in any shape. Do you recognize the problem? While Opal's view of self must be dealt with, the solution is not learning to love herself more. Her inaccurate understanding of her body must be combated with a right view of self rather than an unbiblical love of self. So how do we address Opal's hatred of her body that is potentially fueling her eating disorder? The Apostle Paul helps us think about it biblically in Ephesians 5.29. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Opal's desire to lose weight is actually connected to a deep-seated love of self. She desperately wants to look attractive and beautiful, which means she has to stay at a particular weight and size. As the Apostle Paul says, no one really hates his or her own body, even if there are particular aspects that are undesirable and distasteful. Opal needs to see that her love of self needs to be confessed and repented from before she can actually look at her body in the right way. This love of self is also connected to pride in our hearts as we think we are entitled, deserving to be healthy, to look good, to be at a certain weight. Only by seeing her tendency to love self and to walk in pride can Opal move forward to an accurate view of self. It is normal to desire to be healthy and even to be at a certain weight. But when it gets twisted up with a wrong view of self, that heart attitude needs to be changed. Then there are teenagers like Pedro, a 17-year-old varsity football player whose meticulous eating habits and exercise routine have also led to an eating disorder. As we talk with Pedro, we realize he actually has an extreme love for his body, which may mean he loves himself too much. The same biblical principle applies. Both the apparent love of body or hate for body point to an unhealthy preoccupation with self. Pedro apparently has an overly high self-esteem that must be addressed, just as Opal's overly low self-esteem. Both teenagers need an accurate sense of self that moves them beyond a body-centric focus. As with all the problems of adolescence, we must always dig deeper below the surface to the heart level. Esteeming self much too highly or far too low springs from the soil of a love for self and deep-rooted pride. Challenge your teens to recognize what their hearts have made most important and how it distorts their view of self. Then there's the perfectionism problem. Many teens who fall into the trap of an eating disorder also struggle with the heart issue of perfectionism. 
this is easy to see in someone like Pedro, who has to be at the perfect weight with just the right amount of body fat in order to be the complete athlete. Pedro is also perfectionistic about his grades in school and even his relationship with God. His motto to live by is, if you're not first, you're a loser, and God hates losers. While he may be partially joking, Pedro is revealing his core need to have everything in his life as right as possible. His eating disorder is simply a symptom of his perfectionism, which leads to a deeper desire to be perfect, and Pedro actually thinks he can achieve it. The irrationality of a perfectionistic mindset becomes quickly apparent when we all know perfection is impossible. Yet many who are fighting an eating disorder are deceived that maybe, just maybe, they can be perfect in their eating, which will lead to a perfect body. So how do you begin to help a teen tackle the problem of perfectionism? First, the impulse to strive for perfection is laudable, even though it is an imperfect attempt to reflect God's image. So we can sympathize with our teen's desire to strive for excellence, ending up longing for the impossibility of perfection. But then we also need to expose the fact that perfectionism is simply idolatry, especially when it is driven by pride and the love of self. While God calls us to holiness, that is not the same as perfectionism. Perfectionism fails to acknowledge our sinfulness and weakness, as well as our utter dependence on the Lord for any scintilla of righteous behavior. We need to help Pedro to recognize that his need to be perfect is sinful and self-centered. But the remedy for perfection is not irresponsibility or apathy. God calls us to live by his strength, obey his commands, and strive for holiness in Christ. Reducing the need to be perfect will impact the way Pedro looks at all of his life, including his eating patterns. Well, another common characteristic of teens who are actively involved in an eating disorder is a pattern of obsessive thinking. Obsessions are thoughts that constantly preoccupy or intrude into a person's mind. Obsessions are then typically followed by compulsions, actions done to satisfy the nagging, anxious thoughts. So when there is an obsession to maintain a particular weight, shape, or clothing size, then eating habits become the compulsions to deal with those pervasive thoughts. Or as in Pedro's case, the obsessiveness has to do with choosing just the right foods, right caloric intake, and the right sorts of fitness routine. As we help teens, we have to distinguish between normal healthy concern and anxious obsession. How often is the teen thinking about food, weight, and body size? Has it become a preoccupation that colors most of his or her activities? Obsessive thinking may be apparent in other areas of life, not just eating. It is possible that anxiety is the root problem here, with the eating disorder being the fruit of that sinful anxiety. When you think about the amount of control a teenager with an eating disorder has to maintain, it is pretty astounding. That desire for control and the ongoing efforts at the manipulation of their world is what feeds the obsessive thinking. Nancy's anorexia dictates that she must be meticulous 
about how much she eats. Too many calories or even one extra pound gained will ruin everything. Even though Opal's binging and purging may look like she is out of control, it is actually a habitual manipulation of every meal. Even pure binge eaters are often trying to control their emotional state, literally eating themselves out of anxiety, shame, or other painful experiences. So we may find that a teen is a very controlling person in other areas of life, especially in relationships. Eating disorders become obsessive routines that must not be broken. To help a teenager break free, the anxious thought patterns and controlling attitudes must be relinquished, which means he or she will feel out of control for a while. This is actually a good place to be. Another very challenging piece of the puzzle is potential sexual activity. Eating disorders have historically been primarily a problem experienced by women, often originating during the high school years and sometimes even earlier. Since body weight and body image are often connected to a way a young woman views her sexuality, it is essential to investigate the teen's current sexual activity. Oftentimes, you'll find a teen who is struggling with an eating disorder to be sexually active, often secretively, because she knows it is wrong. The guilt and shame from engaging in premarital sex could be fueling an eating disorder, just to get some control in her out-of-control life. Alternately, the eating disorder may be connected with sexual rejection and a desire for young men to find her sexually attractive. This is certainly the case with Nancy as her view of her body is connected to her longing to be sexually active with a boyfriend. If she does engage in premarital sex, it may only fuel her impulses to continue in her eating disorder to maintain the experience. So if you're counseling this sort of teen, you may end up having to address their understanding of their own sexuality as well as their present sexual sins. But another sexual issue to look for, especially in young women, is the possibility that they have been sexually abused or molested. It should go without saying that great care must be taken when inquiring and discussing such a sensitive issue. An eating disorder can arise from grief, shame, and manipulative secrecy of a dark past or even present sexual abuse as well. Being able to control one aspect of her life enables her to suffer through everything else that is out of control. Or in some cases, the eating disorder arises from a twisted way to punish self for false guilt associated with the sexual abuse. Any confessed sexual abuse or molestation certainly complicates the problem and must be addressed thoroughly. It is understandable when a teen doesn't want to deal with or even speak of any sinful sexual violations. Yet with love and mercy, hopefully he or she can be freed from the bondage that sexual abuse brings with it. Then it is important to understand family dynamics as well. In many cases, an eating disorder has either developed or is being sustained mainly due to the relationship of the teen to his or her parents. Sometimes the fault lies more on the parent's end. 
One or both parents may have very high expectations on the teenager in the way she looks, her body weight, and even her grades in school. In Nancy's case, her parents were pushing her too much, adding to her already driven and perfectionistic personality. Or a mom or dad may be withholding love and affection, especially since the child has developed into a teenager. It could be that displays of affection and attention are only forthcoming when parental expectations are met. Understanding the teen's unique family dynamics is not to be sought in an effort to blame parents for the sinful actions of the teenager, but to help in the process of biblical change. On the other hand, it may be that it is the teenager who is actually responding poorly to her parents. Opal's binging and purging is connected to a pattern of rebellion against God as well as her parents. Ever since elementary school, she has resisted family rules and has pushed back at any parental discipline. So as odd as it may sound, an eating disorder may develop as a purposeful rebellion against the moral standards of mom and dad. This may also include the fact that mom is more the disciplinarian and dad is more passive and even rarely present emotionally or physically. Whatever the case, Opal's rebellion needs to be addressed both in her relationship to God as well as to her parents. Finally, to properly address an eating disorder, we must focus a teen on the glory of God. Writing to the church at Corinth, Paul teaches on the subject of eating in relationship to the Old Testament law and the Christian conscience. He sums it all up by saying, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Unfortunately, our eating can often just serve self rather than be in praise and gratitude to the Lord who has given us the gift of food. Gluttony is clearly condemned in Scripture, not simply because it's unhealthy, but because it is self-indulgent rather than God-focused. It submits the teen to the control of food rather than the control of the spirit. This applies to all eating disorders as the teenager is more involved with the worship of the body than the worship of God. How can God be glorified when his gifts are being used and abused for self-serving purposes? Refocusing on the Lord rather than bodies, weight, and overall outward appearances is the ultimate corrective for teens who struggle with an eating disorder. Always remember to address the spiritual problem the teen has with King Jesus, as well as the mental, emotional, and physical aspects of the disorder. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.